Amen. Man, I think we can go home. You know what I'm saying? Man, praise the Lord for worship this morning. Um, Open your Bibles this morning to John 15. I was just kidding. We're not going home yet. Um, Some of you are like, what? What? Really? No, no. John chapter 15, we're going to go to a familiar passage in just a few moments here, um, but I do want to also take a moment and just share how, how thankful I am for uh, being led in worship this morning. And uh, man, I'm, I'm so moved there is another in the fire. And man, he is good to us, and his love is so good to us. And uh, just great, great worship this morning. I know my heart has been already filled and stirred, and uh, I just want to let you know it's okay to let him know how thankful you are that he is with you in those fires. Amen? Um, and he is so good to us, and I know that sometimes we can forget that. We can get busy in our own things and do I'm just, man, I'm just overwhelmed this morning by his goodness to us. And so I do want to share just a, a quick, uh, something I was supposed to mention during announcements um, that I'm excited about, and it just kind of spaced with other things going on. Um, and so next week, uh, I'm really, really excited to start a new series. Um, we're going to be going through the book of Esther. And so starting next Sunday, uh, as of now, it'll just be a four-week series that we're going to start. And we're going to be looking at just the, the times that God isn't seemingly present in our situations, but we know he's always working. And so we're going to be looking into the book of Esther, kind of walking through that book together starting next week. And I do want to encourage you to be here with us, uh, if you can be, to make it a point to commit to being here. It's going to be an awesome four weeks going through that amazing story of God's hidden presence. And I believe that we can experience times in our lives where we go through things in our lives and we would swear God wasn't really there. We would, we would think he really just forgot all about us. But I want to encourage you, he is never forgotten you, he's never forsaken you, and that he is not only with you, he is working even when we don't realize it. And so next week, we're going to start this series. We're so excited about that. And so come on out for that. Um, Also want to let you know, and don't worry, guys, you don't have a graphic for this one, because um, they're going to be like, wait, what's this one? Um, want to let you know, many of you know, uh, Wednesday nights, we do our summer blast for our four-year-olds through sixth grade. That's our kids' ministry through the summer. Uh, we describe it as an ongoing VBS. So every Wednesday night through the summer, we have something for the kids. And so the first few weeks are usually kind of just a, a group of lessons or a topical set of lessons. And then uh, my wife, Sandra, who's leading that this summer, uh, June 9th. She's going to start a series that will go through the rest of the summer into August, and then we'll start up Word of Life at the uh, beginning of September. And so that theme this summer, what we're going to be looking at, or what she's going to be looking at this summer, is Kings of Israel, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so she's excited to be able to dive into that. So June 9th, that will start. We are doing our kids program already on Wednesday nights. Again, it's not like it's you know, not going on. But June 9th, we'll start that kind of summer series. And so they have a lot of fun on Wednesday nights. They do, obviously, the lesson. They have big games, all kinds of things. The two or three Wednesdays that it's warm enough to do water games in Michigan in the summer. They're going to do some water games. Um, we always said, we used to call this summer splash. And then after the first summer, she was like, it's 60 degrees outside. We can't do water games any Wednesday night. So we went to summer blast. So we changed it up a little bit for our pure Michigan, you know, that we live in. So, um, but that's going to be going on. So June 9th, if you have any children or grandchildren ages four years old through sixth grade, we would love to have them join us this summer. Um, if you have maybe some family members or neighbors that you know that they have kids in those age ranges and they're not connected to a home church, we would love to see them come and join us this summer as well. Um, very, very laid back, but a lot of fun 
for sure. So encourage you guys on those things. So next Sunday, don't forget Esther's starting. And then June 9th, we've got the Kings of Israel, the good, the bad, and the ugly starting on Wednesday nights. And we do also have our adult ministry on Wednesday nights. Our student ministry is going on for 7th to 12th grade students. And so we have a lot of things for the whole family we want to invite you to be a part of. And so this morning, as we, before we get into the text, um, obviously we're celebrating Memorial Day weekend. And we are really recognizing the sacrifice of men and women who gave themselves for the freedoms that we enjoy today. Uh, They sacrificed their individual comfort, their cares, and their personal desires to fight for the whole of us all. Now, here's the reality. We may never know their names. We may never hear their stories. We may never know who they were really as an individual other than that they gave their lives for something greater than themselves. We are experiencing today, as we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend, the fruit of those who gave their lives in sacrifice and service to this country. And I know that many of us will take time, either this weekend you already have, or maybe tomorrow you'll take time and just kind of think through that. Maybe you have family members or someone that was close to you that gave their life and service to this country. And we recognize that this weekend, and we're thankful, uh, beyond thankful, to live in a nation where people willingly said, I'll go, I'll fight, I'll defend those freedoms. And so as we recognize that this morning, as we spend time this weekend recognizing and honoring those who sacrificed literally all of themselves for us, I want to see this morning, as we step back even further, that on a much larger and eternal scale, that Christ set aside his comfort and surrendered his will to the Father's will, being willing to lay down his life for us. That we recognize as as a nation, we see human beings that gave their lives for our national freedoms. But on a much larger scale, I pray that we would realize the Lord Jesus Christ gave up his own life. So that he sacrificed himself so that we could enjoy eternal freedoms in him. John chapter 15 and verse 11. We're going to open up with this text. John chapter 15 and verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's a pretty powerful commandment from Christ, is it not? That you love one another as, not kind of like, but as I've loved you. And I think if we saw that kind of love, and I know we're not perfect, we're not going to get it right, we're going to blow it. But by his grace and through faith, we can see him lift us up and restore us and give us the strength to love that way, as we're going to talk about this morning. Man, to love one another as Christ loved you. Could you imagine a church that consistently was driven with that as their goal? Man, how how would that church change the world? It goes on to say this in verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Man, that's a powerful couple of words. Jesus is saying, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I commanded you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father. I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you and that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. 
I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to strengthen and deepen our understanding of these verses this morning. Father, Lord, I think about in the Old Testament, Lord, it says that as they worshiped you and as they praised you, they shouted praises to you, Lord, that your presence filled the place to the point where the priests couldn't even minister. And Lord, it's just amazing to know that you are with us. And I, I believe that you are filling this place in that way this morning. I believe that your spirit is moving in and among us and, and guiding us. And Lord, to be honest, there's, there's a sense in me that, Lord, I, I almost feel as though I just want to kind of drift into the background. Just let your presence linger in our midst. And so, Father, I pray that that's what takes place this morning. That as I give forth your word, as you've given it to me, Lord, I pray that it would not be my words, but your words. And greater, your word would speak where my words fail. That your Holy Spirit would give us an understanding of these things. Lord, we read in the English such a simple phrase, love one another. Lord, I think we desire to. I think there's a desire to, to put that into practice in, in every believer's life. But Lord, we know that things come into play that we allow to distract from that simple calling. Lord, we put conditions all over that. Well, I would love them if they would just agree with me. I'll love them if they say they're sorry. I can't love them. They think this and that about this and that. And how could I possibly? Lord, I pray that we would realize that you demonstrated the greatest example of love. And you didn't do it for those that liked you. You did it for those that were actually your enemies. And so Lord, I pray that in the midst of understanding this text, that we would get that first. That not only that we can, but we're called to. And so Father, in the rest of this text, we see so many great truths that we want to unpack and apply to our lives by the working of your Holy Spirit. But I pray, Lord, that... that we would be open to that. That we would empty ourselves before you to be filled with you. And Lord, I'm so thankful for those men and women through generations that have given their lives to defend the freedoms that we enjoy so, so richly in this country. So Lord, I pray that as we honor those that have given their lives in a human sense, that we would recognize that the greatest sacrifice that's ever been given on this planet was when you hung on that cross for our sins. So help us, Lord, to apply these things to our hearts and minds that we can live in a way that would honor you. Thank you for your grace that picks us up when we fall, your mercy that restores, and your wisdom that you give to us that we can live in a way that honors you. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to say, um, I printed my notes this week, so we should be good. So if you don't know why I'm referencing that, um, just watch the video last week and you'll know. But I was like, nope, I'm printing pa paper. Good old reliable black and white paper. Just, I mean, it doesn't, look, it's going to be there when I'm done. It's not going to go away magically like my iPad decided to do. But anyway, when we think about this text and we read this text here, uh, Christ made it clear the greatest form of love that someone can show to someone else is laying down their life for them. He says that in verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He's saying, humanly speaking, we would understand that. But if you sacrifice yourself for someone else, you surrender your very life for them, 
That's the greatest form of love that someone can show another person or a love for another person. He says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, telling them that they are his friends, not merely servants. This doesn't mean we don't serve Christ. All through the word of God, especially in the New Testament, we read of individuals saying that I am the servant of Christ. I am the bond slave of Christ. I am, I'm giving myself in service to Christ. We understand we serve Christ and we understand that we are, we are called his friends, but we ultimately feel that humility to say, no, I need to serve you as my Lord and master. And so it's not saying we don't serve him. It's saying we're more than just lowly servants. There's a relationship. There's an intimacy between Christ and us. We don't just merely serve him. We are his friends who serve him. And I love that he says there about the idea that I've given you everything the father has given me. Everything the father has revealed to me, I'm revealing to you. There's no secrets here. We said before about John 14, and he says, I would have told you if there wasn't something after this, but I go to prepare a place for you. And so there's this idea of intimacy and closeness and relationship. And he tells them all of this before he goes to the cross. Now, they should have discerned that he was saying he was going to lay down his life for them. He says in verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Very next verse, you are my friends. So what's he saying? I'm going to lay my life down for you. He's not just being kind of conceptual in his language. He's saying, no, no, it's true in general, but it's going to be very true in practicality because I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to, I'm going to lay down my life. The son of God, God himself took on flesh for the purpose of laying that life down so that we might be saved, that we might experience salvation. We memorialize those that sacrificed for national freedoms we enjoy. But may we see that Christ was the sacrifice for eternal freedom. Freedom from sin and all its power and penalty. Amen. You are free in Christ from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. It's not just that sin doesn't control you anymore and lead you and guide you as you're blind and just following along those lusts of the flesh. No, no, no. You're free from the power of sin and praise God by his grace for nothing we have ever done. We are free from the penalty of sin, eternally speaking. I will not stand before Christ and answer for my sin. He has covered that in his blood. He has given his life for my sin to be covered. It's amazing when you realize that, yes, we enjoy some freedoms in this world because of humans that have given their lives. But, oh, Christian, at a greater sense, I pray that we would know that we are free from the very power and penalty of sin. Christ's sacrifice has also brought us freedom from self. I am not my own God anymore. There is one greater that I can look to for wisdom, guidance, direction, and follow after that my life would reflect a service to him that he would be glorified. It's not about me any longer. It's about him. Freedom from fear, not fear of the Lord, but fear of man. God never says don't fear him. We should fear God. And I'm not talking about just what we've made it out to be. We kind of have tamed that word down to just mean, well, we should respect God. No, no, the Bible makes the fear of God so much greater than just mere respect. It's saying I'm the grasshopper and he's the God sitting on his throne much higher above me. It's saying, I see God in his holiness and I realize I am not holy and I throw myself on his before him at his feet and I just cry out for mercy because you are holy, God, and I am not. I mean, when you read any encounter with a human being and God, do you see just a mere, oh, I respect you, God. 
Hey, God, I want you to know I respect and revere you. Oh, no, we see a humility beyond belief. And that fear is saying, God, I know you could consume me with your very presence, but you choose not to. I know your very thoughts could consume me and I would cease to exist. But by your grace, you've given me time for repentance that I might come to know you as Savior. And it's a fear of God. But the fear of man, we've been freed from. What does that mean? I don't need to fear what others think of me. The words, the judgment, the criticisms. And I'm not saying we're not aware of our testimony. But what I am saying is we don't live by the praise of man. We don't live by the accolades of man. Because if we live by their praise, we'll die by their judgment. We must realize we don't fear man. We fear God. And we've been freed from the fear of man because of Christ and the cross. We have been freed from shame and guilt. Again, the penalty of sin has been lifted, but also the shame and guilt we feel from past sins have been lifted in Christ to realize that he has given us a new name and a newness of life. We are free in Christ, and that eternal freedom does not need, and understand what I say now. Listen to what I say now. We are free in Christ, and that eternal freedom does not need to be fought for continually as human freedoms do, because we didn't fight to receive it. He gifted it to us in himself. We don't have to fight continually to keep the freedoms in Christ as though somehow we did anything to earn those freedoms or gain those freedoms. Human freedoms were fought for and won and battled for. But in Christ, I don't have to fight to keep those freedoms. Oh, no, no, no. I have them in Christ apart from any and all circumstances. Someone can try to take our freedoms in Christ, but they will fail because they're not in them. They're not in us. They're in Christ. You might say, oh, brother, what about all these things coming against the believers today? Someone can tell me you can't read the word, but in Christ, he has told me, no, 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 I am the living word and I will be with you. I hope you understand what I mean when I say that. We fight for our human freedoms, but oh, praise God that our Christian freedoms are not found in my ability to defend them, but he has given them to me freely apart from any human government. I don't need to fear because my relationship in Christ is rock steady on the person of Christ. But what if they throw us in prison? What if they do this or that? That's fine. Guess what? He's still God in the prison as he is in the church. See, that's the thing about that relationship, those freedoms we have from sin and from fear and guilt and shame. Nothing can take that away from us because Romans 8 says nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And he has given us that freedom. And he gave all. And rose again to conquer the grave to show us that we have that for eternity. So how do we honor Christ with the freedoms he has given us? How do we honor Christ for all the many blessings of the freedom from the power and penalty of sin, the freedom of shame and guilt, the freedom from the fear of man? What do we do to honor him and memorialize that freedom as we do those that have given their lives, humanly speaking? I believe we honor Christ by recognizing his sacrifice brings us new life brings us new life. What kind of new life? Romans chapter 5. Go over there with me just quickly. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. This new life is a peaceful life. This new life is a peaceful life. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know if there's a more powerful verse even in all the book of Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with God. You are at peace with the God of all the universe, the God of creation, the God of holiness and majesty. You were his enemy, and now there is peace. Between you and God, there is no tension, division, strife, or fighting, at least from his point of view. But why is it that we tend to forget that and we create tension between us and him by giving ourselves over to things that we have no business doing and giving ourselves to? Why is it that we forget we have the peace available to us, but we add in these divisions, not from him to us, but us to him? We put walls between him and I. We put sin there. We put all these things, our wants and our desires, and we, we cause the peace that he offers to us to be minimized in our lives because we think it's about these other things. But rather, when we realize that the life you have in Christ is apart from the things you do, it's, it's in Christ. Again, it's been offered to you and received through Christ so we can remove those divisions and those tensions and realize that in God we have peace. We have peace. This is all made possible through the sacrifice of Christ, giving himself for our sins. Paul starts in verse 1 of Romans 5 with the word therefore. And what, is, what do we say in Bible study when we see the word therefore? What do we ask? What's it therefore? And so the best way to do that is to read the verses that precede that word therefore. We know it's to ask that question, so we go back into chapter 4 and discover what is Paul explaining and speaking about here. So what is Paul saying in Romans chapter 4? The whole chapter is dealing with this idea that we are saved by faith. He's talking all about Abraham, and he's saying that Abraham was not justified by works, but Abraham was justified by faith. That even in the Old Testament, it wasn't by works, it was by faith. Faith in the word of God and faith in the sacrifice. The key is the connection that faith alone saves, not works. Look back just a couple of verses in the chapter 4, verses 22 to 25. It says this, Romans 4, 22 to 25. And it says in the very beginning there, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So who's the him? We go back previously to that. We find out it's all about Abraham. And again, what we talked about verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. It was not written for his sake alone. That's not the only reason it was recorded so that Abraham would know it was imputed to him. It was written for a greater purpose that we would understand that it was imputed to him. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Verse 25 is the key verse. Do you notice that phrase there? Delivered for our offenses. Delivered for our offenses, not sins he committed. He wasn't delivered up to be crucified because he did something wrong. He was delivered up for our offenses, the things that we did that were vile in God's presence, the sin that we committed, he was delivered up to the cross. This is the cross in our place. We should have died on that cross, but he went for us. He was delivered not only for our offenses, but in our place to pay for those sins. When we understand this, then we read that last phrase, the joy that comes. Who was delivered for our offenses and 
Man, I'm so thankful for the word and. Amen? It'd be a pretty sad verse if it just said he was delivered for our offenses, period. If that's where the sentence ended, if that's where the statement ended, but it doesn't. Who was delivered up for our offenses and, someone say amen for and, and, and was raised again for our justification. See, he was sent to the cross for our sin, but praise God, he, was ro- he rose again as a symbol of justification that we are now freed from sin. That we are now justified in Christ. The resurrection is needed for our justification of sin or the declaring that while I am guilty in my sin and deserve punishment, the righteousness of God is credited or as we read in Romans 4, the rest of the chapter, imputed to my account as it was with the case of Abraham. You see Paul saying here in Romans 5.1, because of all of that, Because Christ went to the cross, because he rose again, because the righteousness of God is imputed or accredited to your account, because of all of that, now verse 1 of Romans 5, being justified. And I'm not justified because I got myself out of sin. I'm not justified because I got up out of the tomb, brushed myself off, and walked on out of my own strength. No, I am justified because he rose again. Because he went to the cross. The resurrection is needed for our justification of sin. Declaring that while I am still guilty and deserving of judgment, the righteousness of God is credited to me. You see, this life in Christ is a peaceful life. I'm not talking about circumstances. I'm not talking about relationships. Because believe me, I know in relationships and in this life, there doesn't seem to be a lot of peace at times, right? But between us and God, through Christ, there is a peace that passes all understanding. So as the storms rage, and as things are happening all around us, we stand, we don't get get shaken. We're not tossed to and fro like a wave of the sea. We stand firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and say, no, 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 I have peace with God. So this life is a peaceful life, but it's also a fruitful life. A fruitful life. So we know in John chapter 15, you can go back there with me. John chapter 15, we read verses 11 through 17. And so go back there with me to John 15. We know in John 15, there's that famous passage. uh, The first 10 verses or so uh, deal with this idea of bearing fruit or the idea of Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. That we bring forth fruit in this life for our joy and his Glory. We were given life to make him known by displaying him to the world around us. We were given life to produce fruit, to make him known, so that, so that the glory of God is on display in through our lives. And so how do we do that, Christian? How do we, how do we live that out? I know it can be frustrating for me at times. And as I was kind of preparing for this sermon this morning. I came across an illustration that a pastor did, and I want to share that with you guys this morning. And so if you're wondering what the little gift bag is here, there's no snacks, there's no candy, um, nothing like that. I know somebody was like, you bring us a snack? When I put it on the praise band, when the praise band was up here, and I said, oh no, no, there's no snacks in here. So I know, sorry. Uh, Next week I'll bring Tootsie Rolls or something. You guys are like that, I'm sure. So, um, so what I have here is a glove. Okay. Pretty basic gardening work glove. Okay. Design good and strong, right? It's got good material to it. This glove was designed to work. 
This glove was created to work. It was made to work. It was fashioned exactly how it was to achieve a purpose of doing work. And so I have a Bible here. And so I'm going to have the glove because it was designed to work, right? It was designed to do this. So I'm going to say, okay, glove, pick up the book. Nothing happens. Well, maybe the glove just needs some encouragement, right? We all need encouragement, don't we? We're doing something. We want to do something for God, and we just need that encouragement. So glove, you can do it. Pick up that book. Come on. Woo! You got this, man. Nothing. Well, maybe the glove needs some discipleship, needs some training, right? So we're going to kind of exercise the glove, and we're going to practice here. Hold up. Okay, like this. Okay, there you go. Pick it up. Okay. Here we go. Okay, ready? Thumb and finger, thumb and finger. Okay, ready? And go. Nothing. Well, maybe the glove, I know what the problem is. The glove just needs some encouragement from fellowship, right? We all need fellowship. So we're going we're gonna to encourage the glove with some other gloves. And so we're going to get some different gloves out here. We're going to do this. We're going to make it a multicultural fellowship. So it's going to be great. Okay. Everyone's in there. Okay. So now glove, you got some friends. Go. Well, obviously the glove's not doing anything. You know what I think the problem is really? I think the glove isn't really committed to being a glove. I think the glove needs to rededicate its life to being a glove. Needs to put the positive thought into, I am a glove. I was made as a work glove. I can do this. He needs to rededicate his life to being a glove. Probably come forward, say some prayers, right? Make a commitment, sign a card. And then the glove can really do what it needs to do, right? Come on, glove. Just rededicate your life to being a glove. Of course not. And I know this is a very silly illustration, but I pray that the simplicity is not lost. See, we know the answer, right? When does the glove become a, be able to do what it was created to do? When a living hand fills every part of the glove, now the glove can do what it needs to do, what it was made to do. But the glove can't be the glove it was made to be without a living hand, a living presence filling every part of the glove. And I know that's painfully obvious. But I pray that we would realize that as we're called to live a supernatural life for Christ, to produce fruits that will remain, as John 15 says, I pray that we would realize that not all the discipleship, not the commitment, not the fellowship, not any of that is going to get the job done. It takes the presence of God by the working of his Holy Spirit living in and through us, filling every part of us, that then and only then can I I was created to live the supernatural life. I was created to serve him. I was created to, to do the work that he's called me to, but I cannot do it without him living actively in me. And it's when the spirit of God fills every part of us that then we can see God glorified by the fruit that will be produced. See, in Christ, we have not only been called, but we've been equipped We've been equipped with the Spirit of God. And the Bible says that at the point of salvation, you receive the indwelling of the Spirit. But then Ephesians 5 says, be ye filled with the Spirit. That's that continual feeling. That's a relationship. That's where I say, God, I want you to have more of me. Fill more of me. And I give you more of myself. See, as we're in that relationship and we're actively pursuing that, we're going to find ourselves able to do what God has called us to do, because it's not us who produces the fruit. God produces the fruit through us. See, we're a conduit that he uses, but it takes his presence in us 
Just like the glove, it's not going to do it on its own. It needs the presence of a living hand to fill that glove to do what it's called to do. In Christ, we do not merely have new life, which is peaceful and fruitful, but we also have new power. We have new power. John 15 and verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of my father in my name, he may give it to you. This new power that we have in our new life starts with the reality and the wisdom to know that he chose you. And there's great value in that. There's great worth in that to know that when we beat ourselves up and tear ourselves down because of our weakness and our limitations and our inabilities, we're encouraged to know. Jesus says, don't you understand? I wanted you. I I formed you and created you and I called you into a relationship with me. And when we receive Christ by faith, now we're able to experience this new life for his glory. The terms that Jesus uses to identify or the phrases he uses to identify our purpose And his infilling to accomplish those purposes are, and he says it in the verse here, the first thing he says, ordained us. He ordained us. And I love this word ordained. Now, some of your translations or in other commentaries, it might just use the word appointed us. He ordained or he appointed us, which really is what he does. He does this with the disciples, and I believe he does it with his church. He appointed the disciples and us to this calling, to go and produce fruit. He appointed us. He positioned us. But when I was looking up this word in the original language, I saw the definition of this word, and I love that how it's greater defined, or how maybe it's more like a fuller definition of this word. The word ordained is defined as placing or setting, to fix or establish. And I love that. That we are appointed, but so much more than just to a position, he has fixed us and established us exactly where we are right now. He has positioned you and fixed you right where you are to make an impact for Christ. You don't have to wait till tomorrow or next week or till you're older. Maybe when I was younger, I could have done this. No, no, no. You are fixed and established right where you are to do what he's called you to do. He's placed you, positioned you exactly where you need to be. He has appointed us to this commission to go and make disciples, to share Christ, to make fruit, to produce fruit by the working of the Holy Spirit. And again, I love the deeper definition of fixing or establishing us right where we are with a specific purpose. Not only does it say he ordains us and appoints us and fixes us in this place, but also he says, I will bring forth fruit through you. The work of the Spirit is a, is a for sure thing. It's not a maybe thing. He will bring forth fruit when we surrender ourselves to him. He does the work. But also the verse ends with an invitation to prayer. And I honestly believe that we will never see God do in our lives what he desires to do if we do not spend time in prayer. Now, this is where people say, well, give me the equation, preacher. How long do I have to pray for God to do what God wants to do in my life? The answer, I have no idea. Because if you make it about a time and that's the point, you've missed the point of prayer. Some people can pray for 10 minutes. And for them, that 10 minutes is the most fruitful, productive, enjoyable 10 minutes. And they just pour it all out. 
Some people can pray for two hours and fill it with all of their wants and complaints and all of this. They drift here and there and they don't really ever even invest in that time. But one seems more spiritual because it was longer. Some pray for 10 minutes and really never say a word to the Lord. It's just, again, more self-driven. Some pray for two hours and God moves in tremendous ways. There's no time to prayer. It's not about checking the box of this time to this time. It's about a relationship, as Paul says, to to really continuously, without ceasing, to give yourself to prayer. So that means as the Lord impresses something on your heart, we pray. Whether it's a quick five-minute prayer, whether it's a long, drawn-out prayer, it's about the relationship of prayer. And he invites us into this, and he says, And whatever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That verse has been used a lot of different ways. Because I've been praying, Lord, you know, a million dollars would be really nice. And I believe in Jesus' name that would be a great blessing. But see, the point isn't just this genie, I rub the lamp, you give me what I want type thing. It's saying, no, no, no. When, he, when we are aligned as we need to be aligned with him in the working of his spirit, and we're realizing who we are in Christ, and we're submitted to him and the authority that he has over us, and we're submitted to his will, as Jesus demonstrated before the Father, to submit to the will of the Father, we submit to the will of God. And as our hearts are being changed, then our desires of our hearts will align with the desires that he has for us. And we will ask things in his name and he will do it because it will glorify him and make his name known. So he ordains us, he brings forth fruit through us and he invites us into prayer. This prayer is the conduit. We see God's power on display in our lives. That's what the prayers that are yes and the prayers that are no, because he is God and we trust him. Our identity in Christ is key and understanding how we can live the Christian life. I heard a, a pastor say it this way, and I thought this was great, a speaker and an author as well. He said it this way, and it made it so abundantly clear. Ask me to paint a portrait like Van Gogh, and I can't do it. Ask me to write a play like Shakespeare, I can't do it. Ask me to live a life as Christ lived, I can't do it. However, if the genius of Van Gogh could come and live in me, I could paint that masterpiece. If the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, I could write that play. And if the genius of Christ himself could come and live in me, I could live the life of Christ. What's it saying there? If the mind of Christ could come and live in me, then I could live the life of Christ and the life that Christ has for me. If we don't understand that it starts and ends in the person of Christ and his presence in our lives, then we are not living the Christian life. We are living a moral and external life of stop this and do more of that type living, which is impossible apart from Christ. See, if I don't realize it's about Christ in me, as we've already established with the glove illustration, if, it's, if I don't know it's Christ in me, then I'm going to live this life trying to just be really good and do good things and please God. And it's a workspace thing and we'll never really succeed. We'll never have the successful Christian life. But when I realize it's Christ in me and it's just surrendering to him and then allowing his presence to live in me, then we will see the power of God. See, it's a new power that he gives us in this new life. And that power is also giving us the power to step out. 
The knowledge we have, all we need in Christ to do what he has called us to do is powerful. The knowledge that we have, all we need to do for God is already given to us is powerful. It is powerful enough to defeat the lies of the enemy that desires to hold you back and keep you stuck. When I was a kid, I always heard from different people in my life that knowledge is power. I always heard that growing up. Knowledge is power. And the application would usually be something like, so get as much knowledge as you can because knowledge is power. And I agree with that statement. I agree that knowledge is power. And here's the thing. We have to ask the question then, if we want the power of God in our lives, then what knowledge are we pursuing? What wisdom are we pursuing? What power do we believe is there? And in what knowledge are we seeking? When we dive into the word of God, And realize the wealth of knowledge available to us. Because God made it known to us. We will also discover the power he provides to us. See, this is a new life. It's a life of peace between us and God. That we have this beautiful relationship. That he has given us this ability by the working of his spirit to produce fruit. That he fills every part of us. That we can do what we're called to do. And in so understanding that Christ also provides not just a new life, but a new power. And the power comes from understanding that he chose us, that he has a plan and a purpose for us. He sees us as valuable and he wants a relationship with us. And so he sent his son. And so we respond in faith and he uses us. But that power not only gives us that calling and that relationship, it calls us to step out and to realize that we have all that we need. But how we know we have all that we need unless we dive into his word and see it for ourselves. We will discover when we dive into the word of God that he has given us all that we need. And that will bring power to overcome the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants to tell you, you can't just stay stuck. Just stay complacent. Just stay apathetic. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. No, don't pursue that. No, no, no. They don't want you to do that anyway. You're not good enough. I mean, who are you to do that? Who are you to step out and serve that way? Who are you to think that you can share Christ at your workplace? Don't you know, they don't want anything to do with you. They don't even want to talk to you. And that's the enemy. That's the lies. But when I get into his word, praise God, the spirit of God gives me truth. And that brings power because I have knowledge now and wisdom to know, oh, no, no, no. I am weak. I am unable to do that. But praise God, he's given me the strength to do this. And so I'm going to step out because I have power to step out. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. See, he says it in the passage there. that The only reason we bring forth fruit is to glorify him to honor him, to honor the father. As we celebrate and honor those that gave their lives for our national freedoms, we enjoy. May we never forget the sacrifice Christ made for us, which brings eternal freedoms. The freedom to live a life of peace with God, which is a fruitful life and a life of power as he fills every part of us. For his glory and for our joy, We remember and celebrate the sacrifice of Christ. John chapter 15. I want to read it again. Verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He says, I'm telling you all of this. So yes, the father is glorified, but also that your joy would be full and my joy would be in you. It's that relationship where the joy of the Lord is overflowing. And as we see things going on around us that we don't like or things in our own lives that we're struggling with, we step back and we realize, Lord, 
none of this changes your love for me. And that love brings me great joy. And so my challenge this morning is simply this. Uh, Number one, do you know Christ? If you don't know Christ, then I would encourage you to invite him into your life right now by asking him to forgive you of your sins, to realize that you have fallen from God's presence, that you do not know him, that your sin has put a division between you and him, but that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins. And that if you will confess your sins and call out to him, he will save you and redeem you and keep you for all of eternity. And so if you're a believer here today, my challenge for you is simply this. Are you allowing the presence of God, time with him in his word and in prayer to fill you, every part of you, that you're able to do what God has called you to do? As we recognize and honor those who gave their lives for our national freedoms, let's spend time this morning recognizing and being thankful for the eternal freedoms that were brought to us freely by the gift of Christ through the cross and resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here today. And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate those who gave their lives for our nation so that we can enjoy certain freedoms in this world, as we recognize and honor those individuals, I pray that we would not forget that the freedoms we enjoy in this life in a relationship with you and the freedoms we will enjoy one day in your heaven are all because of you. That you were delivered up for our offenses. That you were delivered to that cross because of our sin. That you hung and died on that cross. That you you gave your life for us. But you rose again, showing victory over death and hell and sin. And that rising again brought us not only freedom, but justification. That I was guilty, and I am guilty. And I deserve judgment and punishment. But because of the gift of Christ, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, that righteousness is given and accredited to me. And now I stand before you as a forgiven son. Forgiven of all sin. Because of you. So I pray that we would realize that the life that we receive in Christ by your sacrifice is a a new life. It's a peaceful life with you that we don't have to worry about when we leave this world, are we still going to be saved? Are we still going to find heaven our home? Lord, you've guaranteed that there is a peace now where there used to be tension. There's peace. We've been justified by faith and faith alone. And so it's a peaceful life, but it's also a fruitful life. You've called us to produce fruit, which you produce through us. And I pray that we'd be that conduit, surrendered to you and allowing you to fill us and every part of us for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd go with us as we go into this time of invitation. Open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Lord, if you're calling someone here into a ministry, into a position of service, maybe to a foreign field as a missionary, maybe as a preacher, a pastor, a youth pastor, I pray that they would not allow the enemy's lies to distract and to take away from this time, but they would surrender to you and realize that you've called them to something greater and they would give that time to, that their lives to you at this time. Father, we pray that you would lead God and direct in all of these things and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? However God is leading and moving, would you come and maybe bend a knee and spend the time in prayer asking God to affirm those things that he's doing in your life? 
Maybe you believe the lies of the enemy and the knowledge of God's word has encouraged you to know that you are more than you know. And God has a purpose and a plan for you. Maybe you want to come and pray and ask him to reveal more to you. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him as we sing?